1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is James Evans and now let's gather around the piano to listen to my co-host and no talking anyone, it's Ellie Nunn. Shh.
2: You don't sing along, you don't talk.
1: We're going to sing some royalty free music right now so that they can use it on telly. (laughs) The saints go marching in on the count of three, and a one, and a two, and
3: a
2: three. <laughs> That's exactly what my cabarets are like. <laughs> anyone, anyone talks, anyone tries oh, to sing I along. Meant... I just stop and shush them.
1: I thought we meant the royalty-free music. Ellie Nun sings royalty-free music. At that people. too. <laughs> there you go. You can have that idea for Swing free. Swing low, <laughs> sweet chariot. You happy should hear my rendition of Happy Birthday. Oh, we're, vibe- we're on the same wavelength Yay! today. Oh, this
2: is going to be a good one. Well, you say we're on the same wavelength. Was- I literally <laughs> came onto this meeting saying, James, why is this link called Yolanda? <laughs> And James said, because we're talking about Yolanda. And I was like, I thought we were talking about Heather Dubrow.
1: And you at home are probably going, that's weird. I thought you would be talking about the Real house of DC. (laughs) So we're all kind of off kilter today. And we're just going to check back in really quickly. Basically, Ellie and I, I think we both sensed that DC wasn't going to happen in the space of two weeks.
2: I think you could hear the tentative. I did.
1: I did. I should have just cut it down (laughs) right there and then. So I kind of gently reached out when I was on holiday in France by the swimming pool. And I said, "Um, how do you feel about a little mini-sode or something like another person we could just whip out of our ass at the 11th hour, which we never normally do. And um, we cycled through a few ideas. And uh, I said, maybe Heather Dubrow. And then as a joke, I was like, wouldn't that be funny if... If there was a misunderstanding, wouldn't it be hilarious, fucking hilarious, if there was a misunderstanding <laughs> and I prepared Heather Thompson instead? And then you genuinely took my joke, and you're like, "I'll do that." Um, I'll do it. But yeah, we, we cycled through a load of different names, and so Yolanda was all
2: one of, them. of my hard, my hard work, <laughs> right. all
1: that brain out power gone,
2: my copious notes,
1: all those holler jokes. I'm
2: shutting down Microsoft Word now. <laughs> when you say I was messaging you while I was by the pool in France, I'm imagining it cutting from you in this kind of luscious idyllic countryside to me on this like floating prison rocking on the waves (laughs) as I like (laughs) sob clutching my framed picture of Stephen Sondheim.
1: It's funny because as I was lying there, you know, just tanning in the hot Riviera blaze, I was like, I bet Ellie's really miserable at sea right now. And it made me feel good. (laughs) I was high off of the Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah.
2: Oh! Yeah. Jinx. <laughs> Live it again.
1: So tell me all about your hellscape of a week.
2: You are positively beaming. I am giddy. James loves it whenever I go off on one of my adventures.
1: I love an Ellie Nunn story of woe, in part as well, because we've let it be known that I oh normally no. have bad travel energy. So it's always nice to hear your side of things.
2: Yeah, and I realise that I say about how good my travel energy is, and it's not, it's not reading that mm. way between... Being evicted from an Airbnb at the beginning oh, shit. At the end of last I forgot year about that. to like the spider bites in Budapest <laughs> and nearly drowning in LA. I don't know where I got this idea oh, yeah. that i have good travel
1: energy. <laughs> I think you got like an upgrade once, and I think we've just <laughs> been dining off of this idea together. i have been that, coasting yeah, off of yeah. that, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, I hate the idea, by the way, that Ellie Nunn Tales of Woe, because obviously I'm a really like happy go lucky. Completely. Like, grateful, hashtag blessed person. That's very
1: Shannon Badur of you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a
2: great person. Finally! I <laughs> am! <fun> great! <laughs> that that really was me the last nine days. So, I was booked, booked and blessed mm-hmm. to perform my cabaret mm-hmm. on a cruise.
1: On cruise. But I was about to say <laughs> which
2: one, but I probably, <laughs> it was because I was about to say on.
1: I need an article. <laughs> <laughs> on cruise.
2: No, I did say on a cruise. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I, my bad. On... As you were. <laughs> it wasn't like seven on cruise. <laughs> we don't have time. We've got to skip all the definite articles here. On cruise.
2: <laughs> so uh, basically, it sounded like a dream. It was like nine days around the Med,
1: mm, gorgeous. On a
2: cruise, lovely fee. They let me take my boyfriend with me, and that it was going to be four shows across nine days. Four shows, two workshops and a partridge and a petric. What a great deal. Great deal. And they asked me to do Elinan sings Sondheim at People, which is my show.
1: You could do that in your sleep as well at this point, I bet. Let's just go with it. Let's just say yes. (laughs)
2: Like, sure, yes.
1: (laughs) It's a well-oiled machine. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. So, first of all, when we turned up at the cruise port in Barcelona, I had a sort of panic attack. I know this sounds bad, but I got really overwhelmed about how big the boat was. It just felt like a lot suddenly. (laughs) And I don't mean, I wasn't like nerves. I wasn't nervous about performing. I just found the actual boat very overwhelming and getting on board it. Have you
1: been on a cruise before?
2: No, no. And I slept terribly on the first night. Partly because of the movement of the boat and also our room seemed to be right above something to do with the engine, so our room kind of vibrated a bit, which I didn't love. And you couldn't open a window. It was a bit
1: fumy as well. A little bit like fumy. Petrol fumes coming in.
2: Uh, and the other reason I couldn't sleep was because that night, first night on the ship, my boyfriend and I went up to the bar and there was a pianist mm. playing. Mm-hmm. Lovely pianist. Lovely pianist called Brian, Australian pianist. And Kim actually leant over to me and said, oh, I hope he's your accompanist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, me too. And he came over afterwards and he was like, oh, are you Ellie? And I said, yes. And he was like, yeah, I've been needing to find you. I'm I'm having a, a real yeah, I've, I've only just got on the ship yesterday and uh, I've only just opened your music.
1: And I'm not even Australian. <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's> okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Dare you? No,
1: they just assumed that I was, and now I don't want to. <laughs> anyway,
2: he said, "I've I've just opened your music, and I I can't play it." Oh my God, Brian! And Brian, I like, sorry. And he was like, "Well, they asked if I could read music, and I said yes, but it's it's very complicated. And for anyone who doesn't know, the music of Stephen Sondheim is famously extremely complicated, and not something you could open the day before, unless you were sort of a seasoned." accompanist
1: so is brian at fault here for not doing his homework or is it just like if you can't play it you can't play it
2: now this is tricky because on one hand i'm like sure they shouldn't have sent him the music so late but he did also have it for like a week yeah and only opened it the day before <laughs> right. and so i'm like Brian's a little bit at fault mm-hmm. and he was having a kind of like he was clearly very anxious about it but he was also a bit drunk and kept just being like so i don't really know what to tell you I, oh, don't, really to, I don't, don't really know what to do sorry
1: when is the first performance it's not the next day is it
2: the f- first performance is the day after okay the next well you're
1: day. fucked either way but yeah okay right yeah yeah I just want a
2: timeline so okay. I go to bed that night having a real panic and so the next day I meant to have a rehearsal with him at 10 a.m mm-hmm. and I was like trying to be calm and I was like okay well we will just meet at 10 a.m mm-hmm. and we'll see how it goes and we'll work it out 10 a.m I rock up to the rehearsal room, and Brian's there, and he looks really relieved. And he's like, oh, they found another pianist. So sorry for the confusion. Good luck. Bye. Okay. Gives me a hug. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, okay, cool. It's all been sorted. So (laughs) they had asked the other pianist on board if they could read music, who was a Bulgarian man called Alexander. Okay. Who... (laughs) With whom I had a quite a large language <laughs> barrier, and I think Alexander might have told yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a white lie.
1: <laughs> oh God!
2: So what then followed was hours of the most painful, painstaking going through of every number, where it became very clear that Alex couldn't read like sight-read music, but he kept kind of he'd sigh a lot and he'd be like, I'm,
1: Did he not look as stressed out as you wanted him to be? Because it kind of gets to that point. You kind of want Brian back, who's at least, like, understands the gravity of the Exactly.
2: But also, Alex was kind of giving the impression of, like, maybe if I go away and look at this, maybe with some time or whatever. So I was stressed, but with a slight sense of he's got his own process going on. He was like, I just need to write all the notes in Mm. and, like, listen to it all. And then we decided we'd rehearse again the next morning. Mm. So I was like, okay, maybe with another morning. But already suddenly this is like a lot more work and stress than I'd expected. So went back the next morning, another whole morning of painstaking thing. And he was like, okay, I'll go off and look at it this afternoon. We're now on the night of Mm. the first performance. And we got to the soundcheck and Alex turns up late, sits down at the piano and plays so badly. I mean, it was unfollowable. And anyone who knows sometime will know it's already quite unfollowable, to the point that I had to go over to him and be like, "Alex, this is a problem. I'm I'm worried." And again, he was like, "Enough of Alex." I know. So he he suggested maybe if we go upstairs, maybe if we no, that made it sound like a sexual thing.
1: We make love. That'll fix everything, Alex. Time and place. <laughs> oh, I see.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to mm. Um, So we go up and, I mean, Alex has taken 10 steps backwards. Oh, God. Any work we did just seems to have disappeared. And at this point, we're a few hours away. Yeah. And we were like two hours away from the show. I go down to the entertainment office on the ship and I'm like, you're going to have to cancel the show because he can't play it. And they definitely didn't understand the level of the problem. And I think thought I was being a like... Diva. This is unacceptable. Yeah. So they were like, well, no, it's too late to cancel it now. You'll just have to make it work. it
1: too late to cancel it. It's not like people have like driven in from Guernsey to see it. It's like they're on a <laughs> boat. They're not traveling far, are they? Can't, can't cancel it. They
2: were it. like, you'll just have to take out whatever songs he can't play. And I was a bit like, all of them. All of them. <laughs> so I took out the ones that he really couldn't play. And we, we went ahead. There were 14 songs in the show. And I went on with six. Okay. <laughs> <God>. And
1: <laughs> That was the joke number I was going to pull out. So, wow.
2: <laughs> Literally. James, when I say... Okay, so this is how the first show went down. So this guy comes out. They've, also, you need more context to this. The ship I was on is very famous for its ballroom dancing and for it having a ballroom at sea. Right. And the couples that ballroom dance take that very, very seriously.
1: I've been to Black Ball Tower. Yeah, they do.
2: You know. Mm-hmm. Basically, for like the first time they had put cabaret tables out on the ballroom dance floor to make it like a theatre. So it was like 200 people oh my watching God. my sometime oh, show. Oh, shit. I
1: thought this was just like a quiet lounge.
2: Oh No, no. The announcer comes out and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged. Oh, God. To have West End star <laughs> Ellie Dunn <laughs> singing her songs about sometime, singing her show about sometime." Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Ellie Dunn. I come to the stage. Alex... Rather than get ready whilst that announcement was being made, gets up at the same time as me. He then takes, what I swear was about four minutes to open his iPad and get the music up. It was an eternity, oh, Ellie. and I was stood, stood there, there vamping. Looking. and at this point, I no, I wasn't vamping. I was in silence <laughs> because my show doesn't start with talk. And then I could see the entertainment directors panic, being like, "We've made a mistake." Yeah. you know what it was better in that silence than what then followed which was the worst playing it was so cacophonous that two things kept coming through my mind one was that people must be walking past and through this ballroom just thinking like what the fuck is going Mm. on like you're so used to on the ship walking through these different areas where there's like a string quartet or a big band or whatever and it always sounds a bit like AI generated so it must be a very odd experience to walk through (laughs) bad
1: music. It
2: was so confusing. And the second thing I kept thinking was it was so embarrassing how much my show included all this chat of me going on and on about how amazing Sondheim was and how much I loved him because most of the people in the room didn't really know who he was. And it sounded like, why on earth would you love the music of this man who clearly (laughs) writes incredibly like janky tone deaf music it became really humiliating each time I'd sing a song because I thought this sounds like sometimes it's terrible so
1: it wasn't even obviously bad playing to a lay person it might have just sounded like someone capably playing something shit
2: while I was stood up there I thought it was the latter but when I came off I was told that it was clear that it was the pianist Mm. I mean at one point he started playing in the wrong key to me and we had to stop a song quite often he would just stop playing altogether Mm. out of panic and I was just singing Excuse me.
1: oh my god
2: yeah (sighs) Which, to be fair, Kim said was better. <laughs> Every cloud. Because <laughs> suddenly you'd be like, there's the tune. Yeah. The entertainment team were clearly so mortified when I came off that, in fairness to them, I think they really tried to make it up to me, the rest of the crews. Because suddenly, like, I was doing a big band night and they were suddenly like, we're going to merge the theatre big band and the ballroom big band just for you. And we've never done that before. Uh, and, and the big band nights went very well, but also took a lot of extra work because we had to add a load of music that I didn't know and then I had to do the songtime show again at the end of the Mm. week at which point I thought Alex would have gone off and spent the week learning it and that it would be fine and I cut the songs he was particularly bad at and we moved it to a lounge because the ballroom people complained
1: oh no oh
3: god
2: the ballroom was used (laughs) so it got moved to a bar And I sang only ballads, and I thought that that would be better. And not only was it not better, he'd also decided he'd got a bit more confident to start, like, adding stuff to the songs. So he started riffing on, like, Sending the Clowns. Oh, my
1: God. And turning
2: them into, like, music. (laughs) 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 And suddenly I was... And often his adjustments were totally out of touch with the tone of how I was singing. So I was very, like, emotionally singing... It was marvellous to know you. And he'd be being like... It
3: was
2: literally... No, descended the clouds yeah. instrumental was like... And I was seething. Besides that, every port we pulled into... Uh, turns out, on paper, you look at a cruise and you think, how lovely, we're going to Naples and... Vecchia and Ajaxia mm-hmm. and things like that what I didn't realize was obviously the cruise has to pull into a port and that port isn't necessarily the nice bit of yeah. said place mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not when you're working on the ship and you therefore have to be back on it quite a lot and there's not the option to like go off for a day and an evening you don't actually get to see a lot of like nice places right. And the one place that was really nice, we got off and it was the biggest thunderstorm I've ever been in. And as we were running back to the ship, the thunderstorm was right over the ship and the crew started like screaming at everyone to get on board and being like, it doesn't matter about your passes and things like that, just get on. And then lightning had hit the stern of the ship.
1: Oh my God.
2: It's the only time I've ever seen my boyfriend panicked.
1: It's very Cartagena.
2: Very Cartagena. Yeah. Yeah. What else did we do? There was nothing to do on the ship apart from there was a casino. This was a wonderful night. One night we went to the casino and as we got there they were about to do a raffle that clearly no one had entered, so they kind of thrust some tickets into our hands. Which we then won. Oh great. And we won like fifty dollars to play with in the casino. Hey. But as we won, we won on a machine where we also won like eighty dollars. Hey. And then I discovered the roulette table and Probably um lost Kim it actually all. had to no, stop yeah. me going. <laughs> Over the week, because... I'm now addicted. uh, (laughs) I have a very addictive personality. (laughs) Now we know. Um, But yes, there was very little to do on the ship. And there was like one day where it was particularly rocky. Mm. And it was horrible. Like being seasick and stuck at sea.
1: I've been on... fair few cruises in my day and I think every single one I've at least spent a day throwing up either from a virus or seasickness or something like that like cruises are actually really quite horrible when you look at it
2: yeah and also because we had to dress up like every night and every other night was like a gala night and the theme would be like masquerade Mm. or like (laughs) red and gold and people took it so seriously my favorite being the masquerade evening where all these like 70 year olds were wearing masks as they like eating dinner and like having drinks and I was like you can take it <laughs> off but they wouldn't no, masquerade and they would just, like, every face a different having,
1: shade come on Ellie <laughs>
2: having conversations with each <laughs> other wearing like masks with these big feathers on and the whole thing had a real like kink element
1: oh it's a bit eyes wide shut I don't like that They were going to start fucking in a minute.
2: (laughs) A hundred (laughs) percent. Oh, God. Constantly, we were overhearing the most amazing swingers' conversations, or like this old man talking to his friend. There were these two kind of old boys in their dinner jackets, and when they found the kind of nice bar, they were like, oh, great, yeah, we're going to set up here. And we heard them being like, no, but you've done well. God, who knew a woman could look so good at 60? What a babe. Oh, God. And it's like, oh.
1: What is your room? I'll see you in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
3: Alex, you ready? (laughs) But
2: (laughs) but yeah, so we kind of stumbled off the cruise and I went straight into a really terrible job. I'm sort of, I'm sorry, I I hesitated because I was about to lay into the job and then i realized that like i really do overshare on these i
1: always have that impulse and i'm always like should i self-censor and then i'm like no no one's
2: listening (laughs) (laughs) Literally, i'm like no one cares (laughs) um but yeah (laughs) let's just say i was i was working on a short film Mm. and the director was doing things like with the other actress not just moving her into position without asking but like moving her face by her chin Um without um, asking in quite a mad yeah. way. That's quite crazy. And then the thing I thought would really make you laugh was he would go <laughs> hang on. <laughs> he would say, um, yeah, no, it's great, but um on that line, um, I just don't believe what you're saying, so can you give me a smaller reaction? And you go, Okay and he'd be like, Can I see it now? <laughs> and you're like <laughs> No <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> Isn't that so? Funny? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Show me. <laughs> <gasps> Bigger. <gasps> no, less big. <gasps> Lower.
1: <gasps> there we go.
2: <laughs> oh god. Uh, um. See, I'm exhausted. I bet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna have a nice palette. Sorry, I'm just conscious that we probably shouldn't should. even we remember what we <laughs> yeah. were talking
3: about. So we're
1: gonna have a nice little palette cleanser with. Uh, Lemony, Yolanda Foster. Sound good, everyone? <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's um, so funny. On the.
2: Shi- <laughs> it's so funny. On the ship, uh, oh when I God. was on the ship, I had to run these workshops. And having performed to like 200 people at a time, only like 10 people turn up for a workshop. Mm-hmm. But in this like huge ballroom. And I'm all rigged up like a TED talk being filmed as I talk with a Britney mic to 10 people. About lyrics, and it feels very much how this podcast probably is. (laughs) That you're like, everyone ready to talk about Yolanda, and like the 10 people who still (laughs) tune in are
3: like, Yes, (laughs) okay.
2: Uh,
1: so yeah, a lot of you are probably when you saw this come up in your feed, you were like, Really, a Yolanda episode? Why? And I think that's kind of partly why I wanted to do it. I kind of wanted to challenge myself, and I find that. When we do these shows, sometimes we pick a housewife and then the longer the two of us talk for an hour, more things come out.
2: Totally. I actually find the key players the most overwhelming to talk about. Like I'd find it very hard to do an episode about Tamara or- Complete,
1: Oops. Yeah, it's almost too much. It's like why we've never done an episode on Bethany, for instance, because she kind of comes up enough in other mm-hmm. supporting characters' stories that it's actually too much to just cover Bethany. I think with Yolanda, she's one of those housewives who very much presents a certain way, quite straightforwardly, I would say. But then upon further inspection, more and more things come out. She's a bit like one of those optical illusions. You know, when you're a kid and it's like a, a pattern you look at, and then if you stare at it hard enough, like 3D things come out. Yeah. I think she's a bit like that with me. So I think when you first think of her, you think of, you know, she's Dutch and you think of lemons and her very monochromonal outfits with an Hermes belt to finish it off. And all of those things are true, but... Actually, she's fucking insane as well. And I think that that has kind of been lost to history. And I think partly why I thought of Yolanda as well is because we were considering Heather Dubrow and in my mind, they kind of occupy the same sphere where watching them in real time, I never really fully appreciated them. But then on a rewatch or just thinking about them, I'm like, no, actually... I really value your contributions to the show and Mm -hmm. kind of imagining a sliding doors world in which you weren't on it anymore and how that would affect the trajectory of things. So yeah, she's a bit of an enigma and I think she's gone through various iterations on her short time on the show. And I think it would be very nice if we could just discuss that together, hand in hand.
2: I'm here to listen. I think
1: my first point with her, when we first meet her, I am very struck by how aspirational her life is. I think I've made it very clear on this podcast over the the many years we've done this that I don't particularly watch Real Housewives for lifestyle porn. I acknowledge a lot of people do. But if I were going to get on board with lifestyle porn, it would definitely be Yolanda's brand of it. Yes. It gives me the feeling that we all had when we were at school and we go to a friend's house. And there's that one friend with a mum who's beautiful and like expertly coiffed and groomed. And she's got way too much time on her hands. And she's always like coming into the playroom with like treats and snacks Mm, and things. Yes. Um, There's like a warm snugness to it. And she's smug and snug.
3: Yeah.
1: And also, Yolanda is insane and her brand of lifestyle porn is so cartoonish and the producers, I think, really lean into that and don't play it as completely straight as someone, say, Carl Richards would as well, which means we can then inherently find the camp value in Yolanda's life. So. Just, yeah, the uniform that she wears of like top jeans, Hermes belt and shoes all in the same color very much gives her the aesthetic of some sort of cartoon character. Um, she's either dressed like that or she's in like a white button down and jodpers or something where it kind of feels like she's a bit like an extra from Get Out or something. And <laughs> she's constantly walking around with like 50,000 lemons in a basket under her arm or she, she has her own walk-in fridge, which has its own parody Twitter account. Wait,
2: we need to talk about the fridge because my boyfriend has ADD and he finds it really difficult to be honest as we all do when you put things in the fridge and then you forget that they're in there or you like you buy yourself something with good intentions to eat it like some fruit but then it sort of sits at the back of your fridge or it's not accessible in an easy way and he was saying oh, I wish I had a see-through fridge where I could see my food. And I was like, well,
3: okay.
2: and off I popped on Google <laughs> to get a load of images <laughs> of your fridge and send them to him and be like, you need this fridge. And he was like, yes, oh my God, that's so beautiful. I was like, ha, it's a housewife's fridge.
1: Yeah, got it. Got yeah. Got his ass. A few things about the fridge, though. I just think a lot of it is just full of props. I'm not convinced how much of it is actual edible produce.
2: Another thing that pisses me off is that Yolanda has such a beautiful kitchen and the only thing we ever see made in there is fucking lemon and maple syrup and (laughs) cayenne pepper.
1: Oh, is this for the miastra cleanse?
2: Yeah, the miastra cleanse.
1: Well, to be fair, no, she does make dinners for David. David, my love. But she's such an obsessive homemaker that she makes meals twice in case she fucks up the first one. She's (laughs) fucking nuts, Yolanda. Sorry, just to ram (laughs) the point home. Absolutely insane.
2: It's also that sad thing of just talking about David quickly. Yeah. David. David. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about David, the way that Yolanda has these very outdated sort of trad wife mm-hmm. as not even aspirations, but like really firm beliefs of like. David is my love, and everything is for David, mm-hmm. and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good! No, the... the first line was good, and then the second <laughs> line went a bit like, everything is for David. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she has all of this kind of thing of like, you know, you have to keep your... Oh, okay, I can't do the voice. No! I like it. When she makes him the book of her naked, and mm-hmm. everything's very like, you have to keep your husband's interest you have to make your husband your king you have to go him you have to cook for him you have to da da, because you know he's my forever and then obviously they divorced a few years later and it's sad because when they're together a bit and be used to watch and be like oh maybe she's right that maybe when it's forever love you kind of like i used to think oh, it's not for me, but if that works for them, yeah. then like if that's what she wants to do to keep this for everything, especially now that he's older. So it's just so funny that he then like went off and just married the girl from Smash.
1: As soon as she takes <laughs> her leaky implants out. Yeah, what a scoundrel. But even when I think about that scene where she gives him the book, I actually think there's no real connection between them because even the way he's reading through the book, I mean, obviously he's being filmed. So, so like, he's not. So cartoonish. Yeah, he's still like, wow, Whoa. Jiminy
3: <laughs> like, <laughs> Whoa, Whoa. Whoa.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he's meant. He's not meant to like have a wank right there and then, but like it's <laughs> just. I don't know if they actually fancy each other at all. And I say this as such a compliment to Yolanda, but Yolanda is absolutely a gold digger and a very successful one at that. And good for her. And I think when I watch. I probably went through the same motions as you watching it the first time round, but now knowing how it all pans out, I do think watching Yolanda talk about David and the performance she puts on around him and the whole like David, my love, and sitting in his lap and calling him king and yeah, it feels more like a carefully, care, oh my god, carefully Caref- curated, carefully. <laughs> carefully, carefully curated checklist of perhaps obligations that she just ticks off to keep her man happy rather than a natural result of any kind of love because to be honest when i watch yolanda around men it's kind of the same vibe i get watching luann pick up guys like yolanda has game So when there's that season where Brandy's fallen out with her dad, and then Brandy sort of brings Yolanda in to be a mediator.
2: Oh my God. She's amazing.
1: Amazing. She has him wrapped around her little finger. The de-escalation work she puts in is incredible. And I just think that's such an insight. I bet that's the same trick she pulled to get Mohammed and then get David. She's just consummate professional at bringing in men.
2: She's such a funny one, Yolanda, because in so that's how there that was the same intonation as you're such a fucking liar, liar Camille. Camille. <laughs> um because on so many things i fall down on her side mm-hmm. and then you're right that there would just be the odd thing where it would be so it reminds me of i might have told the story before but but i had to do the self-tape in french have i told you this i don't think
1: you told me this no maybe so no, i know you did our friend
2: one. quentin mm-hmm. who is french helped me with it and he asked if he could watch it afterwards and when he watched it, he said, it's so funny because you look so French. So when you come up on screen, you're like, you just assume you are French. Mm-hmm. And when you start speaking, you're like, oh, this is someone who grew up in France because you have a very good accent. And then every now and then there's like a word where you'll mispronounce it or your grammar's not quite right, whatever. And it's like an AI glitch. It's like that uncanny valley thing yeah, where it's like, ah, this thing. And for me, Yolanda's like that where
1: Completely.
3: you're
2: like, I'm totally full down on your side. I really like you. You're funny. You're really like inspirational. Like, um, I aspire to like your, your, um, what were you saying earlier about the, the kind of aspirational side of her home style choices and things. Right. Like that? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why I started, I'm, I'm having my own glitch. Have where, you got like, my brain is Brainfall. just like, <laughs> yeah. um, And yet there'll be these odd talking heads like... uh, There's one right near the beginning of her time on the show. It's not the one where she's saying, I've never heard women talk to each other like this. But it's something similar where she's... Oh, maybe when she's saying about how vulgar...
1: Drunk women are.
2: Drunk women are. Yeah. Yeah. Or there'll be something like that whole kind of the dream team. Oh, I bit,
1: love that.
2: Which I hate.
1: My team, the dream my team. My the dream
2: team. <laughs> and like, there'll just be these moments where I'm like, God, I really strongly dislike you. Yeah. Or like the whole thing, obviously, I know that we're going to get to this later, but with like Gigi. Um, Gigi, my love. With no. her being like, okay, well, you can have half an hour. <laughs> <one.">
1: <laughs> Chew it <itch> slowly. <laughs>
2: and it's just... It's very confusing. Yeah.
1: There's that really horrible scene as well. I think her first season in particular is just a series of politically incorrect gaffes where it's like, thank fucking God this was 10 years ago. Because I think if this was her first season now, she would have been dragged across social media. But there's that really weird scene where she's dealing with a migrant worker in her house and he doesn't speak English. Oh, yeah. And she's lecturing him on how to speak English. And I think in her mind, is doing him a solid. And she's basically saying, look, I'm not American either. I came here and I didn't speak English, but like, you got to do it to get by. But she does this really weird thing where she like intentionally makes her English worse. So she's speaking in this like weird broken English patois of like, when I come to America, I don't know, no English. And as if she's like getting on his level in some way. (laughs) There's also that bit where she's like doing the washing up and Gigi is going to play polo or something. And She's like, oh, my daughter does all the sports. I'm worried she's a a lesbian. And then Andy asks her about it at the reunion. She, like, doubles down on it and... She's like, that's her choice. And he's like, not a choice. And she's like, well... <laughs> and she, like, she doesn't see what's wrong with that. And I think that's a sign of actually a really great housewife is that she doesn't really bend to how she feels that she should look in public. And I think she, whether she's aware yeah. of it or not, she's quite happy just existing as someone totally. very flawed. And I think that kind of icy confidence really serves her well in her combat style because she really... People rarely actually fight Yolanda and I think with good reason because she would enter any conflict with this unshakable confidence where she's like, I love me and I love my life and uh, you're wrong and also you're drunk and there's nothing worse than a drunk woman and you're acting like a child. So by she can eviscerate her opponents, I think, very calmly by never raising her voice or swearing or going to low blows or anything like that. But it's just like cold, hard facts and these very withering putdowns. Like, I remember there's one scene where Rina tries to give Yolanda shit for not turning up to filming, and Yolanda is pretty much like, no, I don't need to explain myself to you. We're not friends. I don't trust you. And it's like, she kind of gagged her a bit there, and with very fair points.
2: Which is great when she's against someone where you're in agreement with her. Yeah. But it's actually really horrible to watch. It's why I hate the trip where Brandy keeps calling Joyce Jacqueline. Yeah. I hate that trip because... Yolanda's so on the wrong side of every argument in it, and her cold—the way she comes for Kyle—and I know that there's the bit where she goes and she's like, "I don't want to see you upset, and let's not argue." But she's just so wrong in that exactly the manner you've just said of where you know I—I find that bit really—you know—I don't love Kyle. I'm I'm, not—I don't stand her particularly, as the kids say, Mm. ten years ago. Uh, But (laughs) I feel very genuinely sorry for her in that situation where she clearly has loads of stuff going on at home and loads of crap and you've got fucking Carlton and constantly being like <laughs> no it's not a gap we're not it's not a gap we're not a dream where yeah. you're just like shut up Carlton Yeah. you've got Brandy like pissed off her face just being fucking vile to yeah. everyone and Yolanda just being very cold and cut off in a way that I really get it's a, quite a sad place when Kyle's there where like Joyce is her only friend at that table there's such a lack of empathy and it's so hard to watch that bit
1: I yeah I always thought about the dream team more as a season three thing but yeah I guess it does bleed into the first half of season four as well but I don't know when I watch season three anyway I think there's something very funny about the dream team because they're perhaps the clearest cut example of one tribe being so much stronger than the other so you have Yolanda Lisa Vanderpump and Brandy who are all on their best form they're all at the height of their individual powers and it's just so funny (laughs) they spend the whole of season three just repeatedly clowning kyle to her face as she desperately tries to like scrape together this motley crew of the absolute dregs of the dregs so all she has is like kim richards who would actively harm your cause and she's drunk most of the time you've got taylor who's still reeling from all the russell stuff you've got adrian who's missing in action because she's distracted with her marriage you've got camille who's been demoted to a friend of and then you've got the morally corrupt faye resnick and that random what was her name? Marissa? Marina? That oh, random. yeah, the one her. who's like,
2: I don't find my husband attractive. No,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's like a whole shtick.
2: She's like, see, your husband is mm, my type.
1: But I agree. I'm not a big Carl Richards fan, but it's very funny. But also I feel so bad for her. She's like, is this the fucking ragtag group of 'er ne'er-do-wells that i've got defending me and then there's like lisa yolanda and brandy that i have this three-headed hydra
2: and carlton
1: and then carlton (laughs) joins in. yeah oh yeah and who's my one joyce great
2: yeah exactly (laughs)
1: so funny
0: this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate
1: Oh my god, can we just talk about how Yolanda's name is very funny to be said? I think we have two instances of it. I wish there was a third, just you know, for the sake of comedy, where we have someone yelling her name for comedic effect. So we have That's ha- the point, Yolanda! <laughs> I agree, I agree, that's the point, Yolanda. <laughs> and then Yolanda just going shh in response is <laughs> so fucking patronizing. She's so high-handed and has this amazingly cold European aloofness to her. Of like, who is Adrian Malouf in this world? It drives everyone absolutely nuts. And then when they get angry with her, she just patronizes them even more. And it's just this vicious cycle. So we also have the bit in the season three reunion where Kim is like, Yolanda, Yolanda, Yolanda.
2: Yolanda. Yolanda. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. So who says that's the point, Yolanda?
1: That's Camille.
2: I thought they were both Kim.
1: No, it's Camille. It's like randomly at her dinner. I don't know if Camille's drunk or something, but it's kind of seemingly out of nowhere that she starts yelling it.
2: I've definitely conflated the two. I
1: know, yeah. It's easy to do. It's like a
2: Yolanda. Yolanda Yolanda.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk a bit about Yolanda's relationship with Lisa Vanderpump?
3: Pinky. Pinky.
1: I think it's really interesting because you get the sense that they are exact equals and they Mm. know it about each other. So when they're allied, they're this unstoppable force who can't be messed with But there's also this weird kind of wariness of each other. There's like a begrudging effect and just a sort of a little nod at each other's prowess where they kind of don't want to get on the wrong side of each other. Mm -hmm. Which leads to this kind of protracted cold war between the two of them. And it's never fully addressed on the show in any great depth, but we know that Lisa knows Yolanda as her best friend Muhammad's ex-wife. So there's a long history there, but it's maybe mostly born out of some sense of obligation. But I would also say that they kind of hate each other's guts as well. Which then makes for really compelling television because they're constantly caught in this dance where they're incessantly strategizing either with each other or against each other until there's like moments of all out conflict, such as in Puerto Rico. Just so stupid, so stupid.
2: Don't call me stupid, Ken. Oh
1: yeah. Who are you to call me stupid? I don't think that's necessarily the strongest case against Lisa Vanderpump. I would say that Munchausen's is a stronger case, but I think this takedown was probably the most destructive, and I don't think Lisa Vanderpump ever fully recovered from it. And I think it's no coincidence that that is the takedown in which Yolanda took a very active role and was kind of stage managing it.
2: Even Brandy? Et two brute?
1: Oh. But we have like that beach showdown and then the dinner that night. It's really intense. And I think it really did alter Lisa dramatically going into the future where I think she constantly from that point on kept all the ladies at an arm's length, even pile, yeah. and shifted all her strategizing to completely off-camera shenanigans. And I think really altered the trajectory for the show going forward. And it leads us to these quite don't dull... Talk the dog. Yeah, don't talk about <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about the dog. And it does just make me wonder perhaps in the same way as we were talking with Carol Radzewill, that Yolanda I think is a very effective producer and that she's because she's so straightforward and no bullshit and she can kind of call it like it is and just use facts and I don't think she allows emotion to kind of cloud her judgment too much. I think she'd be quite good at keeping things on message and if she didn't get sick and have to leave the show, I think she would have been very good at moving the storylines forward. And I think she would have cut through all that crap and voiced a position clearly and concisely when Beverly Hills really needs it, where at its lowest ebb, it does get very bogged down in like proxy wars and whisper campaigns and getting Teddy Mellencamp to do all the dirty work for you. I like, I really wish that Yolanda was there for say the Denise-Brandy hookup situation, just so she could be like, listen, did you have sex with Brandy or not? You know?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> know. Do you have sex with Brandy or not?
1: Not. Nah. <laughs> Did you have se- no? Did you have sex with Brandy or not?
2: <laughs> that was better. Thank you. <laughs> but it's getting quite like uh, it's almost a bit like uh, Roger. It's, uh... is it Roger Moore? <laughs> who who had the voice like that? No, Sean, yeah, Sean Connery. Oh, Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Sean yeah, we got yeah. Did you have sex with that woman?
1: Very good. Tricky. Okay, I'm just aiming for Sean Connery now. Whatever <laughs> road we need to get to the Yolanda, I'll take it. David,
2: my love. <laughs> okay, <sorry.
1: laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Munchausen's?
2: No, I think you're right. I think the Lisa Yolanda... I think the Lisa Yolanda sort of head-to-heads are very interesting in the way that they both... There was some real hypocrisy there from the way that Yolanda's always like don't baby her about Brandy and being like, she's a grown woman, you've got to do... But Yolanda did exactly the same thing to Brandy. Completely, yeah. About a month later. Yeah. As anyone would to a friend. It really annoys me the way that that was made part of Lisa's takedown as she's so controlling about what Brandy does, where anyone, especially on television, with a friend who's embarrassing themselves, where you know, you know, I'm like that, That any time in life where if you can see someone's going to make a bad decision rather than letting them make it, you want to go no 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 don't do, do, like come on you'll regret that mm-hmm. and that's all lisa was doing yeah and it became about manipulating right which annoyed me. Oh god, we're um, gonna get another one of those reviews that's like they love Lisa Vanderpump. The,
1: the one actually it wasn't even a bad review necessarily, it's just like the only like not <laughs> nice review that we've had. And it
2: was We got we got hate for standing Lisa Vanderpump. No,
1: we don't stand Lisa Vanderpump. I I'm, I'm a slight Lisa Vanderpump apologist. listen, I'm gonna right, pulling it out there right now, my official position on Lisa Vanderpump is her. I don't think that she is an evil genius. But I also don't think she's entirely blameless either. I thought we made that position clear on the episode. But what really bothered me is the review was like, I'm nervous to listen to the New Jersey episodes because are they going to stand Teresa now? And I'm like, that I will not have. That is slander. (laughs) Get out. Get out (laughs) of my house. I won't stand for it. But, oh wait, what was I going to say? One thing I do appreciate about Yolanda is that scene in season five where I think she then tries to have a talk to Brandy about her drinking and then Brandy brings up the business with Bella and her DUI and yes, Yolanda yeah. does a really masterful That's thing really good, of not scene. taking the bait and very calmly and compassionately pointing out I know what you're doing right now you are bringing this up to shift the tension off of yourself onto my daughter and it's coming out as a low blow. And if I react to that low blow with anger and hurt, you're going to use that as another example of like, see, people are pushing me away and I'm not going to do that. And she really made Brandy sit in the yeah, uncomfortability so good. of her drinking, which I think was really well done.
2: Well done.
1: Should we talk about Munchausen's? Why not? This is probably really controversial. I actually really like Munchausen's Gate. I think much like Cancer Gate on OC, I think some of the best Real Housewives storylines are very ambiguous and we never get complete closure on them and we don't know what the actual truth is and that means that it's just this endlessly analyzable thing where everyone has their really intense opinions on it and their conspiracy theories one way or another and i like that
2: for me i have less interest than you in terms of it's all a bit of a blur of my recollection is lisa rinner brought it up there was some supposed inconsistencies in how yolanda would say she couldn't move or get out of bed but then she'd like gone for a run in the park i mean to be honest it all seemed like things where they were barely inconsistencies it was like i feel like it doesn't yolanda say that she's like you have good days and bad days well i
1: was gonna say yeah i think that's the nature of a lot of illnesses
2: yeah <laughs> and it's sure. like they seemed annoyed that she wasn't just like bedridden right yeah. non but she also made the point that no one came to visit her or like <laughs> to make it better so it's like they wanted her to be like in agony bedridden but also they didn't really care and also that weird thing that they didn't want her to complain about it but if she got on with her life at all we're a bit like isn't she meant to be sick yeah however there was also a degree of like it was all a lot and I think Yolanda does have not like a hypochondriac thing, but like when the nurse opens the cupboard full of the medications and stuff, no human being could take that. Yeah,
1: I looked at it and it's like, oh well, there's your problem. First of all, I can't take a round of antibiotics without getting the shits. Like that's
2: what I mean. Like it's like...
1: one pill that doesn't agree with your body that could like fuck you up worse than the initial illness. So like exactly. Yeah. So
2: like the whole thing is just. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the long and short of my take on Munchausens is. I'm skeptical of her Lyme diagnosis. It's funny, isn't it? Because we call it Munchausen's instead of Lyme disease, which is what she has. I know that's we call funny. it. You know what I mean? It's like it's weird. It's almost yes. like we've retconned it into thinking that that's the illness that she has. Um, so I guess in that's that the sense, issue. I like, didn't have that. People, have, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> As you were. No, but I just think when we talk about season six, people always say Munchausen's Gate rather than like Lyme disease Gate. Anyway, Gate. Um, I don't think Yolanda has Lyme, um, but I don't think she's actively lying about it either. I think that Yolanda believed that she had Lyme disease, and I guess in many ways that's like good enough for me. I mean, to look at her, she's clearly... Why don't
2: you think she had it?
1: I think that... I don't want to get in trouble here, and obviously... (laughs) I'm not a doctor. I have a degree in <laughs> acting from the New York School of Performing Tricks. And my take on Lyme is that, not that it's hokey medicine, but it's kind of like a convenient catch all term for a lot of other illnesses. And speaking from personal experience, obviously not to this degree, but when you're dealing with a chronic illness or some sort of autoimmune disorder, it really sucks and it can be very isolating and you feel like your body's fighting yourself on something and you're not in sync with your body and you don't know why and doctors can't give you a straight answer and you're just doing all these tests that are inconclusive. It drives you a little bit mad and I think you're so desperate to have a label to call it at least. If you don't have a cure for it, at least you can say, this is what I have, this is what I'm dealing with and there's some structure there. And I think that's kind of what Yolanda ended up doing with... Lyme disease I think she clearly is suffering from something but it's not in like a she's she's not doing like a Brooks Ayers style like performance of no of no illness. obviously but I just think it's kind of a case of Occam's razor where you look at her medicine cabinet you look at the x-ray of her leaky breast implant you're like oh my god well there you go like that's gonna be it and it's annoying that that was her last season because I wish we could have seen her recovery after having her surgery and see if canonically Yolanda was still ill and on the mend after getting that removed or if in fact she was still as sick as ever I also think there's maybe a bit of like rich white lady ness to it where she has nothing mm. to do but pick lemons all day. And
2: yeah, they should, she doesn't have like scurvy. Right. Yeah. That's from not having enough. She,
1: we can rule out scurvy. Okay. I think she has a lot of time on her hands to overthink to the point where you're kind of missing the bleeding obvious and you can go, you have a ton of money. So you can go to all these different doctors on the full spectrum of medicine and quite selectively see people until you get an answer that you want to hear. Mm. Mm-hmm. and I don't know I just look at her yeah and I think with the breast implants with all the medicine like she's of a certain age where she's like going through menopause and that's like a huge hormonal chemical change in your body yeah. and that's a lot to contend with she's probably fucking depressed as well like no wonder she feels like dog shit and I just think what makes the season a bit frustrating and I think where it fails is that this particular cast are so ill equipped to talk or to tackle Munchausen's in a way where we get any kind of answers whatsoever in, in typical Beth Hills fashion. It's very wishy-washy and roundabout, and everyone's afraid of tackling it head-on because they don't want to look bad. Apart from Lisa Rinna, who sort of overcompensates the other way, and she's going purely off of emotion rather than following any sort of discernible trail of facts. And like, what you really need is a Megan King Edmonds type there who wouldn't let emotion get the (laughs) better of her, and she would just. No, I always think you know the scene where Yolanda sort of throws the the medical records of her kids yeah. at Kyle and Lisa. I just think if Megan was there, she'd be like, "Thank you very much, and I'll be on my way with these, <laughs> and I'll be in touch in three to five working days if I have any." I'll be sending them up to a third you. party. Yep. You know, or she'd be like one I step a ahead. Have sacred heart. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I think there's a bit of that going on. I'm so conscious of getting cancelled. Like, if anyone has Lyme disease, like obviously I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I just.
2: He has no idea what he's talking about. Thank no one paying attention.
1: Disclaimer to the 10 people who are still listening.
2: <laughs> one of whom, unfortunately, has lights. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Can you imagine? <laughs> just shall oh, look. We get cancelled by
2: life. Uh, and the other one hates Lisa Vanderpump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I just have to say my end. The biggest thunderstorm, aside from the one that I got caught when I was <laughs> on the cruise, has just come over my house. My dog's run upstairs. She's terrified. I think this is a a sign
1: that I should stop talking about Lyme disease. I mean, (laughs) clearly I'm poking the bear here.
2: You've incurred God's (laughs) wrath.
1: But I think as well, maybe there's something subconscious here where Yolanda is very emotionally invested in her wellness journey, obviously, because she wants to feel better. But also I think it represents a cause for her that is bigger than just being David Foster's wife. So she kind of shifted her time and energy away from being the best housewife she could be to this warrior for Lyme disease awareness in a way that I think yeah. is very existentially important to her. It really gives her a sense of purpose. And yeah, of course. she's a very intelligent, formidable woman. And I do think she was kind of a bit wasted just in this trad wife role. And maybe she found yeah. herself at that certain point in her life where she felt like she was in a bit of a domestic prison and she wanted to go to fundraisers, not as David Foster's arm candy, but as the keynote speaker. And I also just think as well, that is. If, say, Yolanda had doubts about whether or not she did have Lyme on the show, it would not behoove her to voice that, because it gets to a point where she's so deep into it, where she's kind of made that Mm. her, not just her storyline, but her persona, and she's mastered herself on this hill, if she got her breast implants removed and she felt ten times better it's kind of too late to go back because you're really committed to the bit. Like if it gets to a point where she wrote a book called Believe Me, it's all about people not believing that she has Lyme (laughs) disease. So you can't then go, I'm just kidding. I kind of think it's fine now. Um, Never mind. Like you would be forgiven for just quietly pretending it all never happened.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Do you have any other thoughts?
2: Uh, No, apart from when I mentioned God's wrath, I was thinking about the fact that there's been an infestation of bedbugs in Paris. Oh, I saw. You can like understand why people back in the day were like, "Ah, it's one of God's curses." You look at everything going on at the moment, and I'm like, "I feel like we're on." I think this is a
1: sign. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just call the, uh, it a day. The eighth of the plagues, or whatever.
1: Are you okay? <laughs> it's the uh, eighth of plagues. No.
3: It's like
2: Lisa Rinna and Kim Richards in the back of that car. <laughs> what,
1: what, who in the back of
2: the car? You're such a bitch. Kim You're Richards and Lisa Rinner. Fuck You're you. Slut. You're slut. You're slut. Fuck you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think someone else needs to get their breast implants removed, am I right? Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Oh dear. So yeah, this was kind of fun and interesting. And I don't know, maybe enlightening talking about Yolanda. Maybe it wasn't.
2: I loved it. And you know what, James? Hmm? If I was to have a dinner party and write a little name tag, you know, you would have a heart next to your name.
1: Would I? Oh, you would. Who wouldn't have a heart on their name at your dinner party? Go on. name. No names. one. I'm a people pleaser. Yeah, they you are. <laughs>
2: Everyone's in my dream team. The dream team. The world is my dream <laughs> team.
1: Oh, that's a lovely way of going through life. Thank you. Thank you. What should we talk about next week? DC. All right. Nah. Have you started it?
2: No. I will. I will. <laughs> okay. I've got time now. I haven't had okay. time. I had no Wi-Fi on the boat.
3: Ah. Ah. We. it's not funny
2: it must be awful (laughs) go on take us out you scamp
1: thank you for joining us on this week of the housewives archives make sure to click subscribe or leave a review tell your friends all about it that's really helpful marketing on the ground this is the people's podcast after all
2: does anyone leave reviews anymore or did they dry up a while ago No, we've got
1: lovely reviews yeah
2: all right well keep doing it guys keep doing it
1: yeah we sign <laughs> off of these reviews. I do anyway. Ellie clearly, clearly. doesn't know. <laughs> at all, but... Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, my love. Bye, my love.